Welcome to episode 29 of the Pencast. It is Monday, February 19th, 2024. And some good things, but a lot of bad things on this episode to cover. And we're going to start with the good things because it is a much shorter list than the list of bad things to talk about because the team is spiraling and should be... um, a fun second three quarters or whatever you want to call it second half of this episode because there's a lot of crap going on around the penguins right now and there's not much positive but this weekend other than the outcome of the game against the los angeles kings uh, this weekend was an absolute smashing success home run grand slam by the penguins organization they were able to bring back Yarmir Yager to the city and celebrate him in an incredible, incredible way just through and through this weekend was phenomenal and a great showing by the Penguins organization. I know um, Jeff Merrick uh, on 32 Thoughts uh, podcast says that the two places that do ceremonies the best are Buckingham Palace and the Bell Center in Montreal. I'd like to throw PBG Paints Arena into that as well because I think the Penguins organization really did a phenomenal job. It was the best jersey retirement ceremony that I've seen, and I've seen my fair share of them. Last year, the um, Penguin fans will remember that we had to sit through, I think it was in February too, and it was against the Kings, we had to sit through the Dustin Brown jersey retirement ceremony, which just to be perfectly honest with you, for one thing, he's nowhere near the player Yager was, uh, and I think a lot of teams who retire jerseys of that caliber of player is kind of crazy. Uh, I mean, obviously, he was a captain for them. Sure, that's fine. But he was never a superstar by any means. Another one that comes to mind is uh, Chris Neal in Ottawa. Just important players, but really, you deserve to have your jersey retired. That's a bit much. I think that really waters down... Uh, when organizations do that, I think it really waters down the importance and the significance of having your jersey retired, which made this ceremony so much better because the Penguins only have now three uh, retired jersey numbers. But the Penguin fans had to sit through a, the longest jersey ceremony, jersey retirement ceremony I've ever seen in my life. And I think it was super inconsiderate of the orga- the LA Kings organization to do it at a scheduled 10:30 puck drop against an east coast team um and then blow right past that scheduled puck drop and just keep talking about Dustin Brown and bring every single person up who's ever met Dustin Brown to talk about how great of a guy he he is the game literally didn't start until after 11 i don't think the game and like the post game ended until after 2 almost going on 3 i think it was the longest most unnecessary ceremony ever but not the case in pittsburgh yarmir yager's jersey retirement ceremony this weekend through and through was a class act just unbelievably well done from having him skate at practice over the weekend at the cranberry facility the fans went nuts for it to having him come out during warm-ups yesterday before the game after uh his ceremony he was dressed in his suit, he, you know, for the ceremony, you know, you know, all done up. And then just 15 minutes later, he comes out with the boys with pads on and starts shooting around. And then all the guys have the mullets on 
it was just a great, great, uh, you know, situation the Penguins have put on there. Hosted by friend of the show, Paul Steigerwald. He did a phenomenal job, I think. And um, Yag's speech was phenomenal. He is, one thing about him, I was talking to people while I was watching it, is that he has such a great personality. He's just so naturally witty and, you know, sarcastic, funny, just a fun-loving guy. And to think that there was ever a time here uh, in the city where there was, you know, tumultuous you know, relations with him. It, it's kind of upsetting, but it's really nice that, you know, there was a lot, a lot of closure, I think, over the weekend for both sides of the relationship from Pittsburgh's uh, and the Penguins' side of it. And then uh, Yarmir's side, I think, you know, both sides see how much the other one meant to one another. And it, it was just a beautifully done ceremony. So everyone with the Penguins, um, you know, media, the presentation side of uh, the team, everyone from the, even the players, uh, Kevin Acklin did a great job as well, and obviously a huge shout out to Phil Bork, uh, who you know persuaded Yags to come over and participate in this, because he was afraid originally that he would be be, uh, be booed. Obviously, it didn't happen. He was cheered more than anyone I've ever seen during Hadjiri's retirement. The Pittsburgh fans and Pittsburgh faithful loved him, and they really showed it during that ceremony and it was really unfortunate that the penguins were winning that game for as long as they were granted it was a one nothing uh, lead they're winning for so long and just in 2024 penguins fashion they just blow it literally with over 50 minutes of shutout hockey they they were playing so well and adrian kempe who i forget who it was online it may have been josh yoey but someone referred to him as the Western Conference Chris Kreider. Because every time the Penguins play Adrian Kempe, that guy shows out. And he did again. He got both the game-tying and the game-winning goal. The game-winning goal happened with uh, 3.10 left in the game. And it was a shorthanded goal assisted by Anze Kopitar. The game-tying goal, was, uh, which broke the shutout. Tristan Jari was going for his seventh shutout on the year. Um, and honestly, part part of me in the back of my head didn't want to jinx it, but I was thinking, I was like, man, if he gets this and he has seven shutouts in February, he has a chance at 10. And like, if you have 10 shutouts in a year, like, I know Steve Mason did it, um, you know, like a decade ago, but that's just something that not many goalies have had. And, you know, maybe that puts him into the Vesna conversation, but not to be, um, but he hasn't been the problem with this team. It's been the goal scoring uh, through and through here and the power play. And I'm just going to go straight into the bad stuff that happened over the, uh, well, since All-Star break, because I haven't had an episode since All-Star break. So out of All-Star break, the Penguins start at with a home game against Winnipeg. And that is the game where Tristan Jari gets his sixth shutout of the year. 3-0 victory against the Jets, a very good team. Uh, you know, they were without some of their key guys, but still Winnipeg is one of the best teams in the NHL, The one of the two best teams in the Western Conference, no doubt. So um, that was a really impressive win, and I thought that the team would go in a good direction following that. I thought that that was going to be good momentum builder, and their uh, next, you know, they kind of had a mixed bag in the, like in the rest of their schedule for the, you know, the remainder of February. So I was kind of curious to see. They got started with a, a with a win against a good team. Let's see what happens here. The next game was at Minnesota. They dropped that one three to two. The next game was at Winnipeg. They go a little little further north from Minnesota and they drop that one two to one. Then they head back here to Pittsburgh and they play Florida. 
one of the two best teams in the East, I'd say, either them or Boston. They lose that one handily, 5-2. to two. Then they travel to Chicago to take on the Blackhawks in Connor Bedard's first game back from his injury. And they are able to win that one, 4-1. to one. And uh, that one goal that Chicago had, um, which was uh, Philip Kurashev, I believe, that assist by Bedard. It was his first point back, obviously, in his first game back. Um, man, he had a beautiful pass on that uh, on that goal there. He's the real deal. There's no doubt about it. The team might be bad right now. Everyone around him might suck. But Connor Bedard is going to have... Uh, he's going to be a problem for the next uh, decade and a half, two decades, for the Western Conference and the NHL as a whole. And then, obviously, the uh, six games since the All-Star break wrap up here uh, yesterday with a 2-1 to one loss in the Yager, the Yarmir Yager jersey retirement game, 2-1 to one to the Kings. So since the All-Star break, they are sitting at 2-4 and four, uh, in those six games since break. And this is what the standings look like uh, after, those, uh, after those games. And it should be worth noting there are games happening right now because it is President's Day. And none of these standings are up to date with those um with with the, any of the results from today's game today's games plural um but looks like so far no metro team has played yet today and there might not the only one that plays is carolina <clears throat> excuse me later tonight so that shouldn't be too much of a problem with the standings um or at least the updated standings so right now as it stands at 259 on monday february 19th the Penguins are in 7th place out of 8 in the Metropolitan. They are 11 points up on the last place Columbus Blue Jackets, which is good, so they likely won't be last place. Um, but ahead of them, with one more game played than them, 53, the Capitals have 56 points. So one more game played, but one more point. And then ahead of the Islanders, um, or ahead of the Capitals are the Islanders. They have 54 games played, so two more than the Penguins, and they have 58 points. Three points more than the Penguins, two more games played than the Penguins. And then you go one tier above that, and you can look at the New Jersey Devils, who in 54 games played, same as the Islanders, have 60 points. So they have two more games played than the Penguins, but are five points up on them. And then leading the Metropolitan or in the top three spots in third place are the Philadelphia Flyers. 56 games played, so that's four more than the Penguins, but they have 10 more points than the Penguins at 65. Second place in the Metro are the Carolina Hurricanes at 54 games played, two more than the Penguins. They sit at 69 points, 14 more points. And then leading the Metro with 55 games played, that's three more than the Penguins for those keeping track at home. Uh, the New York Rangers have 75 points. That is 20 more than the Pittsburgh Penguins. So the math is not mathing right now, if you're keeping track. The Penguins are sixth in points uh, and fifth in point percentage for a wild card spot. The wild card looks right now. In the top wild card, it is the Tampa Bay Lightning with 56 games played, 65 points. In the second wild card, Detroit has 54 games played, 62 points. Then it goes uh, New Jersey, the Islanders, Washington, Pittsburgh. So Pittsburgh's in sixth based on points. In point percentage, they're fifth 
because they edge out the capitals by um, one thousandth of a percent. So that's a coin flip right there, essentially. And um, going into the All-Star break, they had games in hand, and they still do. It's just the amount has gone down, and they haven't won. There's they haven't won any of those games in hand. They are two and uh, two and four in their last six since the All Star break. If you have those games at hand, they had more. Now they have less. You have to win them in order for them to matter at all, and they just haven't been doing that at all. Um, in terms of the Metro, because I'm, if you remember uh, prior to All Star break, I said I thought that their best bet wasn't a wild card spot. It was going to be that third spot in the um in the metro because philadelphia was starting to cool off a little bit well i hate to break it to you um as i mentioned earlier they are seventh in points in the metro in point percentage they are sixth and they are not particularly close to philadelphia uh right now philadelphia is on a give me one second i need to do the math see what the math is mathing um 65 divided by 56 times 82. Philadelphia is on a 95-point pace right now. When you look at the Penguins, it's not 95. I'll tell you that. It is 86. Yeah. So that's the disparity right now based on point percentage over the course of an 82-game season. The disparity right now, so not counting games in hand, it doesn't matter, just based on point percentage, how many points have you gotten out of the games you have played, the Penguins are still being outpaced by the Flyers by nearly 10 points. So five wins. Not ideal. Not ideal at all. So we're here now. What? How did we get here? Why or how are they losing these games? Well, in the six games that they've played, uh, since the All-Star break, they have 13 goals. Um, and not sure how great everyone is at math here, but that is 2.16 goals per game. In the NHL, in 2024, you do not win games with averaging 2.16 goals per game. It just doesn't happen. But the problem gets worse. It actually gets exaggerated more when you dive deeper into the numbers. Right now... Um, there have only been six players on the Penguins roster who have scored since the All-Star break. Six. Uh, and uh, two of them are defenders. And three of them have scored multiple goals. Sidney Crosby scored four goals. Brian Rust has scored four goals. He's been pretty hot recently. Riley Smith scored two. Johnny Ludwig scored one his first in his, of his career in that loss to his former team, the Florida Panthers. Jeff Carter scored one. And Chris Letang scored one. So that's no goals from Raquel, no goals from Malkin, no goals from Gensel. Granted, he's injured. Um, no goals for the new guy, Pugliarvi. No goals for Pustinen. No goals for anybody that I haven't already named. Um, Lars Eller, no goals. Drew O'Connor, not, not, nothing nothing there. Uh, Ryan Graves, pff, you're funny. Um... Colin White played all five of the uh, played, has played five games since the break hasn't gotten a point at all. Here are the guys actually with no points because I think that's a more interesting uh, number. Poyarvi in six games no points. White in five games no points. Jansen Harkins in four games no points. Um, Poj in three games no points. Pustinen, Johnny uh, Gruden, Matthew Phillips who we'll talk about in a little bit, and Nolachari. All those guys have played games or at least a game. 
No points. No points. Graves has one. Ruedel has one. Evgeny Malkin has one point in six games. Uh-huh. Yeah. I had Drew O'Connor with two points. But yeah, six guys with all the goals uh, since this break. That has to... Well, that has to be the worst in the NHL. Like, uh, that I'm confident of. But you're not... Let alone making the playoffs, you're not winning anything in the playoffs if you can't get goals from outside of your one, like your top right winger and your superstar center. If you're only getting goals from two places out of a 18 skater roster, you're not winning a playoff game, let alone a series. You're not. So my thinking has shifted over the past couple weeks. I think this team is going gonna, is gonna to sell. I think they're at a point of no return at this point because the grind only gets harder. They actually had a very light schedule because they have had played so many less games. They had a very easy, you know, timing-wise schedule for the first half of their season. If you look at you just look at a calendar and look at all the games they have coming up in this in March, you know, the, in the second half of February here, into March, in the first half of April, it's basically every other day. And this is an old team. So you think they're going to play better for the rest of the season than they have up until this point? They won't. They're going to get fatigued. They're going to be tired. There's a lot of games where Jeff Carter, Evgeny Malkin don't even look like they're skating, even when they're on a rest. You think they're going to be skating their hardest? Whenever they're playing four games in seven nights, they're not. The team needs to concede. Kyle Dubas needs to concede that he he thought what he did over the uh, over the off season was going to turn this team around. But it's time to admit it actually made it worse. The team is worse this year than they were last year, and I'll be chief among them. I I will admit. I thought this team would be good this season. I thought they were going to make the playoffs. I thought they were definitely going to be better than the team that they had last season, the team that was managed by uh, Ron Hextall. I almost said Ron Francis because the Yager Knight's still on my mind. I thought Kyle Dubas did a pretty good job this offseason. The, the biggest decisions that, he's ma- that he made while trading Eric Carlson, you can't say that that wasn't a good deal i mean maybe it wasn't the best to have as long of a commitment to him at his age with his injury history but look at what went out the door well look what he did with that money and you can't say well he could have done different things with that money no because you're not getting rid of those contracts no one's taking on those contracts if you're not taking on eric carlson's contract it's just not happening that deal doesn't happen you don't lose granland ruda petrie if you're not bringing back Eric Carlson, unless you're giving up multiple picks. So with that allocation of money, I think Eric Carlson has been more valuable than the sum of the other wasted parts that were given up. So he's had his faults. He's definitely not been the player he was last season, but offensively, I think he's done fairly well. Defensively, he's pretty much a disaster, but that was known going into it. I still don't think that that was a bad move. The other biggest move was re-signing Tristan Jari. 
I thought that was a bad deal at the time, and it ended up being great, at least so far. He's making three, I mean, sorry, 5.35, I believe, for the next four years after this. He's had a great season. Him and Nadalkovich have been a great duo. And, I mean, up until now, that doesn't look like it's going to be a bad deal. He has injury problems, so it might end up being not great. But this season, it's not been an issue. So that what has been the issue then? Well, he didn't do enough to address the depth scoring problem. And that was something I acknowledged at the end of Jan- uh, July 1st, at the end of you know the offseason. He brought in a lot of guys for the bottom six that would be competent defensively, that would be good penalty-killing guys. But the problem is, is that there was never anything really to address the goal scoring, or at least at the NHL level. He went and signed a lot of AHL scorers that would provide depth for the team. Henestroza, Andreas Janssen, uh, to name a few. Andreas Janssen ended up getting terminated and you know left North America. That's how much he loved uh, living in Scranton. I'm just kidding. I, I, I love Scranton. Um, but there hasn't been any move to address the depth scoring at the NHL level. Lars Eller is not going to be a big-time supplemental scorer for you. Neither will Matt Nieto, neither will Nolachari. And it doesn't help that the guy brought in to replace Jason Zucker is barely half a point a game, not willing to score. I mean, he, he has two goals in six games over the last six games for, since the All-Star break, so he's done better in that regard, but he has not lived up to expectations, I don't think, at all. And there's still another year left on his deal, so I think that's going to be a move they look to, uh, or a move they they look to make. Ricard Raquel is having a, you know, since he started his prime, a career worst season. That doesn't help at all. And now to top it all off, Jake Gensel is going to be out for the next four weeks, and in my eyes, I'd say likely played his final game in a Penguin uniform. So that's where we're at. That's the bad stuff. Um, there's a lot more to talk about. I want to talk about what the Gensel... Actually, you know, before we get a break, before we get a break, I do want to talk about the power play real quick. Because everyone's been calling for Todd Reardon's head, and I'm starting to kind of feel bad for him because he's starting to get the Mac Canada treatment. Um, not like in person. He's not getting booed or anything. I don't, At least I haven't seen. But on you know, Twitter... People have been, you know, firing uh, at him from at every corner. But I'm starting to think that it's not all Todd Reardon. I think there may be a larger issue at hand. Maybe the team isn't listening. I think when you bring in Eric Carlson for a power play, let me get into this real quick. When you bring in Eric Carlson for a power play, he's elite with his stick. He can shoot from the point. He's a great passer, one of the best defensive passers uh in the last decade, decade and a half. But he also, when healthy, has fantastic legs. He can skate like the wind. And I don't know how much Penguins power play you guys delve into on video or anything or watching the games, but he, well, not him specifically, but the entire team is stagnant. When they have the puck, they're just kind of move, like moving by shifting their bodies but they're not skating around 
You're not moving bodies. You're not moving the puck. You're not getting defensemen moving. You're not getting goalies moving from side to side, you know, post to post. It's such a slow-moving power play that hasn't been working at all. I think that there may be an issue with Eric Carlson not holding the puck. I think he should skate around, move the puck, get people moving. The problem is, is that the past decade, they've been running the same system since Sullivan's been there, where it's just like, oh, we have enough skill here that we don't need to move around. Our passing will, will, you know, supersede the need to actually skate around with it. And we'll just eventually, if we move it around enough, we'll get people move. If we just pass the puck from one side to another, back, forth, forward, sideways, eventually a, a seam will open up and we can just fire it. And, and then, you know, whoever is, if you know, either Sid can tip it in or Gensel can tip it in. No one's really jamming away at it anymore, uh, at least on this team. So I think that's a big problem that needs to be addressed. Why isn't Eric Carlson skating with the puck in the offensive zone enough? He has great legs. He has great puck control. On this team, probably not the best puck control because you're on the team with the best person, the best puck controller ever in Sidney Crosby. Um, but let him move, let him in his speed. If since other some of your other guys are not as fast anymore, let him in his speed move people around, move defenders around, move bodies around, and be willing as uh, guys on the power play to move with it, to move positions, to be fluid. You need a fluid power play in 2024. Look at the teams that are are succeeding the best at that right now. The teams that have, have the most speed are the ones that are getting the most power play uh, goals. Edmonton, Colorado, those teams are willing to play po- basically positionless hockey when it comes to the power play. The Penguins aren't doing that. The Penguins are cement shooed into their spots and basically can just pivot from one side to another and hope of a seam opens up, and it just doesn't happen. In the last five games, um, the Penguins have gone 1 for 5, 0 for 1, 0 for 4, 0 for 3, and then 1 for 6 on the power play. That's 2 for 19, and that's 10.5%. So, so much for earlier in the season, oh, they'll get it together. They'll, you know, they'll progress to the mean. They can't actually be this bad. This is, you know, an anomaly. The more bigger of a sample size that happens, they'll progress. No, it hasn't happened. It's almost March. The season's basically almost three quarters of the way done here. And nope, it's gotten worse. It's It got a little bit better during, you know, late December, early January. But no, this that, that the power play is what it is. Trust your eyes when you see how bad it is on the ice and trust how bad it is when you look at the box score and you're like, wow, they really do not capitalize on these advantages. And the teams that do are the ones that end up winning president's trophies and being, you know, top of their division, making the playoffs. You can't even make the playoffs because your power play stinks so bad. I think it was Jesse Marshall had a tweet earlier today. Let me see if I can find it because it was actually very interesting. It was about how many points in the standings you miss out on um, with as bad of a power play as the Penguins have. Um, here it is. Uh, this is Jesse Marshall uh, of The Athletic on Twitter. This is a bit of a silly exercise, but let's consider how the power play could be affecting the Penguins in the standings. 
League average power play is 20%. If the Penguins were clicking at 20%, they'd have 11 more goals on the season. Traditionally, three goals equals one standings point. Now look at the division standings and consider how drastically things are different with these games in hand and sitting at 59 points, which is what they'd have if they had the more goals and the more power play goals. That's a significantly diff- different situation uh, where the coin flip is probably in your favor a little bit. So if the Penguins had 59 points in the standings, let's bring that up real quick, they are fifth in the Metro based on uh, points, but point percentage would be pretty nice. It'd be a 59 divided by 52 times 82. Your pace goes from being what it was before up to 93. So that's much closer to being a playoff team. It's still, you know, like you said, a coin flip. It's still not certain that you're making the playoffs at at that pace, at that clip. But you're closer to the caliber of teams that are going to be making it. 59 Divided by 52. Um, Let me see here. I want to see what the Lightning are at on that pace. 56 times 82. The Lightning are at 95-point pace right now. A 95-point pace. The Red Wings, who are in the second wildcard spot, uh, just behind the Lightning, are on a 94-point pace. So that puts you right near them. It puts you probably... Does it put you above New Jersey? It probably puts you damn near tied for New Jersey. Um, I think it put you, honestly, above them. Looking at it here. Let me see. Yeah. So if the Penguins were clicking at a 20% power play, they would likely be, right now, the first team out or maybe the second wild card. But because their power play has been so poor, they are way deeper in the standings. And the only teams that are above in the East are teams that have been, you know, genuinely disappointing this season. The Blue Jackets are playing way worse than they expected. Ottawa is significantly worse than they expected. Montreal is still rebuilding, but they probably expected to be maybe a tad better than this. Or maybe, honestly, that might be a fair assessment where they're at right now. 52 points, 55 games. Buffalo's been a huge disappointment. They expected to be in the wild card race, and they're not. 52 points in 54 games. So the only people worse than the Penguins in the standings are teams that are not happy with where they are right now. So the Penguins cannot be complacent with um, their position. And instead of expecting them to progress, because they have to, they have Sidney Crosby on their team, they need to be good. There's no way they're not good. You can never bet against the Penguins. Maybe just maybe it's time to accept reality do the math because kyle you're really good at math you're 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 you know you believe in analytics you can see the numbers and accept that maybe this is it at least for this year i'm not saying that you can't shed money um because if you're losing jake that's money carter's money there's some trade chips i'm going to get into in the second half that i think that they should look to move in the offseason you can have a second chance at this. It makes it harder because all of these guys are getting older and you're getting such an amazing performance this year from Sidney Crosby. But it's not it's not impossible. It's so maybe you you punt on this year and look to next year, have another chance at it next offseason, give them maybe one last rodeo. You already acquired Carlson, you might as well. Give them one last chance next offseason. Make the moves you need to make, shed money, 
get some free agents, do what you got to do and see what happens. Don't give up big futures. Don't trade Jaeger, Pickering, or your first, or another first. They already don't have their first, their next first. Um, and yeah, that's another reason why you, you if you do punt on this year, which I think they should, then you have to go for it next year because then you're, you're potentially giving San Jose next year's first round pick, which would be a lottery pick and wouldn't be protected. It's protected this year. So if the Penguins miss the playoffs this year, they hold on to their first round pick. If they miss it next year, you could be giving San Jose a top five, top 10 pick and a top one pick in the draft. So maybe now you sell on Jake, you make some moves in the offseason, and you punt and you gear up for next year. I'll be right back. I have a lot more I wanted to discuss about specifically about Jake Gensel uh, in particular, and like I said, offseason moves potentially. Um, but I need to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. We know hockey games move fast, but with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, you can score faster than anything happening on the ice. This week, new customers can bet 5 bucks and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Looking to tomorrow's game, it's the Penguins hosting the New York Islanders. The Penguins somehow are favored on DraftKings Sportsbook at a minus 142. You can get the Islanders, if you think the Islanders are going to win that, at a plus 120. The spread is 1.5 goals, minus 1.5 for the Penguins, plus 1.5 for the Islanders. And the over-under is set at 6 goals. Two teams that have had some issues scoring uh, this year will be facing up against one another, and that's why we get a 6-goal potential over-under. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app with code THPN. New customers bet just 5 bucks on the NHL and get 200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash hockey for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. NHL and the NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2024. All rights reserved. All right, we are back. And a report came out uh, over the past, I think it was sometime last week. Uh, It was from Elliot Friedman of 30 Few Thoughts in Sportsnet. He said that he believes uh, Kyle Dubas would want a Drew-like package for Jake Gensel. Um, and I have some qualms with that, but we'll get into. But in, to refresh your memory, the Claude Giroux trade package, which was Giroux going from Philadelphia to Florida, um, there was a there was a deal on the table to go to Colorado, but uh, Giroux wanted to go to Florida, so they traded him to Florida. It was Owen Tippett, who at the time was a kind of troubled prospect. He hadn't really uh, become an NHL regular yet. Uh, and he was starting to get to the age where he should have. Uh, but he was a first-round pick. Uh, the tw- a 2023 third-round pick 
and then a 2024 first round pick top 10 protected uh those are all of florida's those are florida's picks obviously which top 10 protected in 2024 uh yeah florida's not gonna be picking top 10 so that's not a problem um i think that is a underpayment and here is why um for one this year the trade prices have been insane sean monahan netted a first round pick elias lundholm netted a first round pick and a top defensive prospect and rumors are swirling that Nick Dowd and possibly um, Scott Lawton could be netting first-round picks for their teams. Lawton, a flyer, Dowd, a Washington Capital. I even heard on 32 Thoughts earlier today that Calgary thinks they can get a first for Chris Tanov. That's a defenseman, uh, so that's a little different. I think the better comps are these guys I just mentioned. Um, but it should be noted, too, that these guys can all play center. Gensel does not play center historically. But here are the here's my you know comparison as to why I think Jake can get more than the Giroux deal. At the time Giroux was drafted, he was mainly a winger. So he did play center, obviously, for a good chunk of his career, but by the point he was being traded from Philly to Florida, he was mainly a winger. In that season when he was traded, uh, he had 37 games played up until the time he was traded with Philly. Um, 18 goals, 24 assists, 42 points. That's a .73 points per game pace. In his career, he has zero 40 goal seasons. He's, but granted, he's been more of a playmaker than a sniper. He has five point per game seasons of his four, of his 14 seasons with Philadelphia. So. You know, those he sent. No, I'm not counting his uh, Ottawa or Florida stats. Just at the time when he was with Philly, five of his seasons of, of his 14 seasons with Philly were point per game, and he was 34 years old at the time of him being traded. And there was no real chance for him to be re-signed by either uh, if it was Florida or Colorado, because both of those teams pretty much had, were uh, capped out um, by the time he was going to be dealt. Um. So here's Jake's numbers in comparison to that. Jake Gensel this season, prior to getting injured, 50 games played, 22 goals, 30 assists, 52 points. That's a 1.04 points per game. In his career, he has two 40-goal seasons. He'd have more if it weren't for the shortened COVID years. Um, He has four point-per-game seasons of his eight with Pittsburgh. So half of the seasons he's played in Pittsburgh, he's been a point-per-game player. Whereas Drew was uh, just over a third of his seasons were point per game. And he's also a 29-year-old. And he'll be 29 when it comes time to sign a deal. And with that, you have potential to sign him long term. You have potential, if you want to give him an 8-year deal, that brings him to 37, 36, 37. So there is no chance that Drew, when he was getting traded was ever going to be signing and set a six seven eight year deal he was always going to likely test out free agency and get a shorter term deal somewhere else and it had long been rumored that he wanted to go home to ottawa so i don't think any of those teams ever really considered signing him long term but you get jake gensel in a trade you could potentially sign him for six seven eight years and have 40 goal potential well over a point a game, you know, uh, expectations on any given season. I don't see how 
Jake Gensel should be getting the anything less than a first-round pick, but anything less than the guys who have been traded already, and definitely not less than this Claude Giroux deal. I think they should be getting more in the Claude Giroux deal, uh, more in in this deal than what the Flyers got in the Claude Giroux deal. I think Jake's a better player, and just situationally, it makes more sense that he's worth more to any acquiring team uh, than what Claude was when Claude was traded to Florida. And typically, historically, Kyle Dubas does pretty well in trades. I like his trade history. I've looked at it on Cap Friendly whenever they first hired him. I like a lot of the moves he's done. He takes risks, but he hasn't really been a seller in his uh, history. He's been always more of a buyer. The only deal that I looked at and was able to say, oh, that was definitely a selling move that he did, was whenever he was interim GM um, back in 2015 and he of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and he was technically the GM who traded Phil Kessel to Pittsburgh, which I didn't know. I think that's kind of interesting that Kyle Dubas is the one that technically did the trade. I'm sure there were other people that were a part of that deal, and you know some legwork may have been completed beforehand, but the GM of record for the Maple Leafs when they made that deal was Kyle Dubas. It's kind of interesting. But that deal um, from a Toronto side of things at the time was fairly decent deal. They got a lot of depth pieces. They got a first-round pick, and they got Kasperi Kapanen. Uh, Kapanen at the time seemed like he was a recent first-round pick himself, so you could say it was basically two first-rounders for Phil Kessel, who obviously went on to have a very successful tenure in Pittsburgh. But I think he did a pr- if he if he's responsible for that return. I think he did pretty well on the Toronto side of things in selling Phil Kessel. But outside of that, does not have much experience being a seller uh, as a general manager. He's always been the guy who's loading up around this time of year and preparing for playoff runs. <clears throat> so if they move Jake, or if Jake walks at free agency, either one, if puck drop next October. Jake Gensel is not a Pittsburgh Penguin. Is there a chance, and I'm willing to take criticism on this, I'm willing to hear other people's responses to this, does anyone think there's a chance that Sam Reinhart could potentially be on Kyle Dubas' radar? Penguins haven't been big on signing, you know, big money free agents really much ever. It seems like, uh, you know, guys like Rutherford uh, and before him uh, Ray Shiro we're always more into the uh, trade mill. They liked, you know, making deals more than more than signing them. So, I'm not sure where Kyle would stand on this. Kyle obviously made a big splash years ago, getting John Tavares, the biggest free agent, you know, possible at the time. Um, so, is there something too that maybe, just maybe, could Sam Reinhart be a possible Jake Gensel replacement? He's having a career year. He's a pending UFA. He is 28 years old, so he's a year younger than Jake. And traditionally in his career, he's been, uh, you know, he, he's he's been he's done well. It took him a while in Buffalo, but to be fair, he was a part of some really, really, really bad Buffalo teams. But since 17-18, he scored 20 goals in every season, and over the past three, he scored 30 in every season, including this one. And he is currently on pace for, let me do the math real quick because I didn't prepare. He is currently on pace for 50, 
eight goals this season. He's definitely going to, he's likely going to pass a 100 point plateau as well. He is not left wing, he's a right winger. Um, so that's obviously, it's not a hand and glove replacement for Jake. But I think there might be something there. There, I do. I, from what I've heard from uh, Elliot Friedman and others, is that it seems like Reinhardt does want to stay in Florida, and who doesn't? I mean, the situation they have down there—they get to drive golf carts to their practice facility because uh, you know it's you know beautiful weather down there. There's no state tax, so there's a lot of incentive for him to stay. The problem is Florida doesn't have a ton of cap space, even if he wants to take a discount. And Gensel's, if Gensel's not returning, his six millions off the books. Carter's not returning his three and a half off the books. That's nine and a half million there. Does that not get it done? Nine and a half times seven. Is, is that not a deal that likely I think Reinhardt would sign going into this year? I don't think that that would have been a number that he would have, or the, a number that would have been necessary to sign him. But he's on pace for nearly sixty goals, so he's not going to sign for less than nine. He should be getting nine and a half, ten million dollars. So, and, and also the cap's going up this year, so that helps the Penguins as well. And I don't know exactly how the um, pitch would go, but I mean, it's kind of an easy sell to say you get to play with Sidney Crosby. There may be an issue there with the later years of his contract, but I think if Jake doesn't want to be the guy here to bridge the gap in generations, if he doesn't want to be the oh, okay, I play with Crosby, then the team's going to be bad for a few years, but I'm going to be the guy here. I'll be the captain. And then once they start once you know they start turning the tides, I'm still going to be here in my later years. I'll be the elderman. I'll be the one who won cups in my rookie year, but I'm still here for experience. I'm still skilled. If he doesn't want to be that guy, maybe Sam Reinhardt can be that guy. He doesn't have Stanley Cup winning experience, at least not yet. Florida might win this year with how good they are. But he went to the Stanley Cup final last year. He has been through a ton of adversity with being on some really garbage Buffalo teams, finally got out of there and had a bit of a rocky start in Florida, but he's really found his own, especially this year. And he's starting to look like the player that should have been drafted second overall um, all those years ago. I think it was a 2014 uh, draft. So, that's something I was thinking about. He's probably going to be the highest paid UFA this year, and I would not be surprised if there's not a bidding war for him just because I think teams are going to get a little more money um, with the bump in the salary cap. So I think some teams will be more daring to try to make that uh, make that deal happen. But that's just something I've been thinking about. I think he's been really, uh, really good. But there's a couple other free agents that I think also could possibly um, be mentioned if uh, if Jake walks as, as potential replacements, one of them is Jonathan Marcheseau. I do think he resigns in Vegas, but in the odd chance he doesn't, um, that's a guy I would think about. We've seen Vegas be heartless before, although he does seem to be the centerpiece of people who you know played there from the beginning. He's been there the entire time. He was an expansion pick. Him, William Carlson, and I think Braden McNabb are the only guys left. So I do have a hard time seeing that happen. Oh, William Carrier as well. But anything can happen. No doubt about it. He's a very good player. He's more in line with the age that 
um, the rest of this team is. He's 33 years old. He is uh, from Quebec. He's a smaller guy, but he's been very productive. He's the reigning Smythe winner. He um, has 28 goals this year, which is he's on pace for his career high in goals, which is 30. He will almost definitely beat that as long as he stays can stay healthy. But he, since he's made it into the NHL, he's been very, very productive. Some uh, productive time in Florida. And then um, he had 30 goals his first year in Florida and then immediately got picked up by Vegas. Since then, he's been, uh, you know, near a point-a-game player. So that's a guy I would consider. Another guy I looked at was Tavo Teravainen. Uh, both of these guys have uh, experience playing on both wings, so um, that's why I kind of I, I like them as options as well. And they're both UFAs, so, so you know there's no assets there. But uh, Tavo Teravainen, who got in the league with Chicago, he's played with Carolina for m- most of the uh, most of his career, but he's been a little more inconsistent offensively. He's hovered around a point a game for some seasons. Um, he's had some health issues, so he hasn't played full seasons. He hasn't played a full season since 1819. Um, but he's a potential option. I think he'd probably be a little cheaper. Maybe Carolina wants to hold on to him. He's been kind of a lifer down there since he was traded from Chicago. So, um, that's an option too, but ideally, ideally Jake Gensel stays, but I mean, there's a lot of assets to be had. And imagine you get all those futures back and you can sign a guy to replace that production like Sam Reinhardt. I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to, to understand that side of the argument. I'm starting to understand why people would want to move Gensel from a Penguins perspective just because of how poor they've played over the past uh, two weeks here. And I did a little exercise, um, you know, whenever this cold skid really started going down here, basically, what do I envision the team looking like next year? And honestly, there's only a few untouchables. There's only a few players I see that are guaranteed a spot, excuse me, on this team next year. Um, one of one of them, Sidney Crosby. Um, as much as his production has kind of been really annoying to me this year, I think Malkin is one of them. I don't see. I don't think he's getting moved. Um, and on the offensive side, that's pretty much it <laughs> on the defensive side. I think it's Pedersen, Carlson and Latang, and in goal with Jari. I think basically every other position, every other spot on the lines could is potentially, you know, free to move. Uh, if they are going full cell mode here at the deadline, the two really only options that they have to sell or only real um, ass- assets of value to sell at this deadline would be Jake Gensel and Alex Nedeljkovic. Nedeljkovic, because of how you know many teams need better goaltending and how he's on a one-year deal, how well he's played this year, I think that they could potentially go and get like a second or a third round pick for Alex Nedeljkovic. I think he could be, if they want him listed, uh, on the trade board, I think he could be a hot commodity and a teams would you know get into a bidding war in order to get his services just based on how well he's played this year. That was a really good value signing by <clears throat> Kyle Dubas. But you look on the offensive side, are we certain that they keep, they hold on to uh, Brian Rust? He's played good over the last couple games, but he hasn't had the best season himself. I like him. I still think he's getting overpaid and getting paid for too long of term. 
but he got hot at the right time when his contract was expiring and you know Ron Hextall decided that yeah okay we're gonna resign him so they did um I wouldn't be surprised if they look to maybe move off of him I think out of the three I'm gonna list here in a second he's the most safe but I think Ricard Raquel and Riley Smith are easy trade chips in this this offseason maybe even at the deadline probably not as much at the deadline I think it's a better offseason deal for teams wanting to acquire them um but Riley Smith uh going to be 32 this offseason he's he's going to have one year left at five million dollars he's really underperformed in my opinion I could easily see him being dealt to any number of teams would anyone be surprised if Vegas wants him back I, I mean, maybe you can eat, maybe you eat half the money. They give you a good pick or something. Maybe there's something there. I don't know. But I wouldn't be surprised if Vegas or some other team wanting a more veteran guy, maybe like a Buffalo Sabres. I could see that, something like that happening. I don't think he his position on this team is safe in the slightest. And Ricard Raquel, who's going to be 30 this offseason, and uh, he, he'll have two more years after this one at $5 million. He significantly underperformed. That's a situation where I think, because it has the extra year, maybe you find a team that's just willing to take a bet on him and give you like a late round pick or something. But I'm I don't I'm starting to think that one might be harder to deal just because of how bad it's been and how it just has not worked out in the slightest for him this year. And he has the skill. We've seen it before, but man, it has been a really rough road for Ricard Raquel this year. Another guy who Another one I'd like to see the deal moved, but I don't think I don't see a feasible path for it. I think it's even more difficult, way more difficult difficult than the Rust or the uh, Raquel deals to move. It's Ryan Graves, who's going to be 28 this season. Uh, this off season, he's going to have five more years at 4.5 million dollars. Um, any team wanting to acquire him, if they look at his tape this year, they are not going to like what they see, and they are probably not going to be willing to give you anything of value uh, to get him off your books they might ask you for assets to take him away so just because of how bad and long that contract is so we'll see about that I'm not loving it Uh, I'm not loving the uh, potential there I'm thinking the Penguins are gonna be stuck with that contract but if you can find someone to take it you drive him to the airport (laughs) you do whatever you need to do to make that uh, contract get off your books for good and the last guy who I would think about trading is, at this point, it's POJ. His value isn't very high right now because he hasn't been playing a ton, but he's going to be an RFA. He's going to be 24 years old, a left-handed defenseman. I think there's going to be someone out there who's willing to take a cheap bet on that guy. I don't think you're going to be able to get more than like a fourth for him, but he was a huge piece of that Kessel deal to send Kessel to Arizona, the central piece of that uh, deal. And... Um, he's just, he, I don't see him having a future here. Um, I, I really don't. I, I, even with injuries and even with, uh, other issues, he just hasn't performed up to speed last year. Whenever there was a lot of injuries, he, um, stepped up for a few games and did pretty well alongside, uh, Latang. I actually saw the lines uh, at practice today and I think he was on Latang's wing, uh, Latang's pairing, excuse me, again, but I'm still, I'm not on the train of keeping him. I think if you wanted to resign him because he's an RFA, you could probably tender him for pretty cheap. 
I just don't see any, I don't see much upside there. I think that you could trade him. I think you could get a little bit of value back, a little bit of a future, you know, asset back. And that's better for the Penguins uh, next season than it would be than, uh, to keep him. I talked a lot. My throat hurts. And that's everything I have for this episode. Um, things look bleak. I'm not going to lie. Things are not looking good. But we'll have more answers, maybe even by the next episode, just because we're just two weeks away from deadline, two, three weeks away from trade deadline. Um, so maybe they look to move something sooner. Um, just to mention the Gensel injury, I don't think that that's going to change anything about them wanting to trade him at all. If anything, it may motivate them to want to trade him more, but it doesn't impact their ability to deal him. It doesn't impact, I don't think it impacts his value at all. Um, cause he's only going to miss maybe a game or two after the trade deadline actually starts, um, or actually happens. So, yeah, I, I don't, I've heard uh, some chatter about, you know, oh, well, like maybe, you know, his value is going to be lower now because he is, he's injured. So maybe you just flip him for anything. No, he's, his value doesn't diminish because he's injured right now. That's in, an insane statement to say. I heard some guys on the uh, Steve Dangle podcast say that that's ridiculous uh, to think that because Jake Gensel's injured right now uh, and he's going to miss a week of regular season games uh, after the trade deadline. That, you know, just flip, flip him for a fifth, you know, flip him for whatever, you know, he, he's, he's, you know, get something out of him. No, he's still a un, unbelievably valuable ha- asset, the most valuable asset that they've had in years to trade. And I'm very interested to see if they're actually going to start pulling the triggers here and, and go into sell mode for this season. Um, if they don't, I'd be more surprised because honestly, I maybe they must be seeing something I'm not seeing. Because what the, the Penguins hockey I've seen over the past two weeks uh, has been less than impressive. Basically all the season, it's been less than impressive. That is it. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow uh, on all of the podcast apps that you listen on. Give, me, uh, give us a five-star rating if you can. I'd really appreciate it. And you can follow me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Lucas Wester, just my name. Um, and thank you for listening. I'll see you hopefully next week.